Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is having a change of heart on face diapers, and it smells like rotting hypocrisy. Kamala Harris tells us how old she was when she learned to discriminate and hate conservatives. And for my fellow reality TV lovers out there, Tom Sandoval and Raquel Levis have made my losers list for being complete and total trash bags. It's time to name my losers of the week. Then, we've been lied to about January 6th, and Tucker Carlson gave us the footage to prove it. You know I have some final thoughts. I'm Tommy Lahren, and the show starts right now. Liberals. What can I tell you about liberals? Well, they're liars and hypocrites and are truly without principles. They also have a real affinity for face masks and the mandates that came with them. And I guess that mask obsession still holds given New York City Mayor Eric Adams is now directing stores to have customers drop their masks. Wait, what? We are putting out a clear call to all of our shops. Uh, Do not allow people to enter the store without taking off their face mask. And then once they're inside, they can continue to wear if they so so desire to do so. Are y'all as confused as I am? The man who pushed force maxing and vaxing and a number of other COVID infringements now wants to ensure customers drop their masks when entering a store to reassure store owners and workers they aren't criminals. And while those stupid face masks do make it easier to anonymously commit crimes, in New York City, what difference does it really make? Because known thugs and felons with rap sheets a mile long still get away with all of their lawlessness, masked or unmasked. These liberals change their rules and their policies with the wind because, as I said before, they are principleless and shameless and will never admit they have botched literally everything they've touched, from COVID to crime and everywhere in between. But speaking of shameless and botched on every level, my next loser of the week is the woman who is a Joe heartbeat away from being our president and commander-in-chief. Her public appearances are always cringeworthy, but this one in particular was gag-worthy even for her. Um, I grew up learning about, we, we called it ecology at the time, <laughs> and so some of us who were born around that time know what I'm saying, <laughs> and, um, and we talked about it in the context of conservation. In fact, I'm going to share with you a very simple story, which is that I went home one day and I said, well, what's, why are conservatives bad, mommy? Because I thought we were supposed to conserve things. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't reconcile it. Now I can. (laughs) Ladies, gentlemen, they, thems, this is the administration of unity right before your eyes telling you proudly, zestfully, the age when they were trained to hate half the country. You know, it doesn't matter if the story is real or something she made up to be funny. The fact that she thought it was funny and cute is bad enough. And you wonder why Democrats want Joe to run again so they don't have to diversity pick Kamala. At least he has a dementia excuse. But on to my third losers of the week. Listen, 
I know all of y'all are not Bravo reality junkies like I am, and that's fair. And I'm sorry if you have no idea who or what I'm talking about or, quite frankly, don't care. I get it. But this scandal, this scandal, as they call it, has been burning my ass, so I had to add these losers, these cheaters, these shameless weasels to my loser list right alongside the aforementioned Democrats. Tom Sandoval and Raquel, real name Rachel Levis, from the Bravo show Vanderpump Rules. And here's why. Tom Sandoval has been seriously dating and then living with his girlfriend, Ariana Maddox, for nine freaking years now. But reality fans like myself were disgusted, and I mean disgusted, to discover Tom Sandoval has been secretly cheating on Ariana with Raquel, another cast member and close friend of Ariana, for the last six months or more, reportedly at times, in Ariana's own home while she was asleep. Now, this bombshell has been rocking the reality and social media world for nearly a week now, and I'll admit it, I've been fully sucked in. And Tom and Raquel, you are trash. Now I get it. This reality crap probably doesn't matter to most of you, but I admit it does matter to me, and I'll use it as proof that, yes, conservatives do care about pop culture, and we do get wrapped up in it just like our liberal counterparts. See, we aren't so different after all, I promise. Okay, back to real reality. Still ahead, a fatherless America is a broken America. I've got author and host of First Class Fatherhood podcast, Alec Lace, with me in studio next. So data from the Census Bureau shows that nearly 18.5 million children grow up without their fathers, which has led to the United States owning the title of the world's leader in fatherlessness. This is a real problem and one the left doesn't seem to want to talk about because there's a hyper-focus on celebrating non-traditional families and single mothers, but what about dads? My next guest is on a quest to start that conversation. Joining me now is host of the First Class Fatherhood podcast, Alec Lace. And we were talking before the segment, you have quite the catalog of people that you've interviewed about this. And we're going to get into that in a moment because I'm very interested in it. But just starting off the conversation about fatherlessness, it's something that is of great importance culturally and even politically, but it's something that doesn't get talked about a lot. Why did you want to start this podcast? Just for that reason, Tommy. And I've been, I've been blessed. I have four kids of my own and I'm a full-time railroad mechanic. And I drive Uber part-time, and one of the messages I kept hearing from a lot of the young men when I told them I had four kids, they looked at me like I had four heads. So I would try to, like, you know, turn that mindset around, like, listen, having kids isn't going to ruin your life. It's going to actually begin your life. That's when your life's really going to start. And I kept saying these things over and over again. I was like, man, I should just make a tape so I could play it. So that's what led me to starting the podcast, to kind of change that mindset of, like, young men trying to avoid getting married, starting a family, to maybe looking forward to it. And now... I've been blessed to have so many guys that have accomplished so much in their life come on the show and say, you know what, despite all these accomplishments, it's really only been through the experience of becoming a father that's given me any real fulfillment in life. And that's what these guys need to be known for. Like, who they are as dads is far more important than who they are as NFL players or entertainers or, or whatever field that they're known for. It's so much more important their message gets across as influencers for parenting. And I think it also goes a little deeper than that as well not just talking about fatherhood and being a father on paper, but actually being present, being a father in the household, being a part of your children's life, being a part of a family structure. I mean, I think that that's something that's led to a lot of the societal problems that we face is not having a strong male role model in the family. Now, when we have these conversations, it's sometimes difficult because when we talk about how important father fatherhood is and important that fathers as a role models are it's often like well what about single mothers you know it's not their fault 
And it's hard. Have you found that it's difficult to have that conversation without offending the single mothers out there? 100%. I always have to make the stipulation that there's no offense. I, I really respect the single moms that are out there. I get emails from them all the time, and they'll say, well, I raised my kids by myself. They turned out to be good. And I'll say, you know, that's great. And I'm not saying that every kid that's raised by a single mom is going to end up in prison. But 85% of the youths that are in prison had no father in the home. So it's almost like saying, you know, my grandfather smoked till he was 86 years old. Never had an issue health-wise. Right. Does that mean it's good that we should tell everybody they should smoke now? No, it's not the IQ situation. So, yes. And the, in my opinion, it's the number one social issue we have in our society. Like, I was down at CPAC listening to all the speakers. They're talking about all these political issues and all this other stuff. But if we don't solve this problem... None of that's going to matter. You're just building a foundation on the sand, not on the rock. The, the, the family is the foundation of this whole country. So you can't have the poverty conversation, the homelessness conversation, the crime conversation, unless you have the fatherless conversation. And it does want to be avoided, particularly on the left. The messaging that we get from the left is kids don't belong to their parents. They belong to the whole community. They belong to the state. So this is the type of stuff you're dealing with. And yes, there's pushback because you do get that from the single mom community. And it's not an attack on single moms. But we need to do better in this country with our families. I think having that conversation, it's like, if that's your situation, make the best of it and be a fantastic mother. However, the ideal should be to have a family structure around your kids. That always isn't going to work out. We know that life happens, but that's the ideal situation. But there are people that say, listen, I can't help it. My kids are going to be raised fatherless because I can't control the actions of somebody else. Let's talk about other male role models that can act like father figures. What is your advice to men in communities on how to be that community member for young people that might not have that actual father figure in the home? Well, that's just the key because, you know, a lot of even a lot of the dads I've interviewed on the show, they don't, didn't grow up with a father, but they found that father figure through a coach. They found that father figure through a teacher. They found it in the military. They found it somewhere in a positive male role model. It's the ones that find it in the street is the reason why we are filling up the prison systems, filling up the street with homelessness, with fatherless, particularly fatherless young men. Now, fatherless young women, they have a whole nether set of categories that comes mm -hmm. out. And the teenage pregnancy is off the charts when there's no father in the home. Even menstruation comes at an earlier time for girls that are growing up without a father in the home. So there's a whole different category of problems for each one. But yes, men that see, that are coaching in the community, that are teaching in the community, got to step up when you see these young men, these young women that have no father in the home. Because it could save your community. If you have a community with high crime rate, high homelessness, high drug use, you have a community that has a high rate of fatherless homes. It's attached to everything. So all you can do is what you can do. Be that positive role model for the people that are in your community. How do you think we got here to where this conversation on fatherhood is taboo for some political parties in some communities? They don't want to have it. How do we arrive at a place where we are glorifying non-traditional families, glorifying single motherhood, not saying we take anything away from single mothers, but glorifying the idea of single motherhood like that is actually the goal? How do we arrive at this place? Well, I mean, if you go back to before the civil rights movement, before feminism, you had the, the two-parent household was very intact. We had only 9% of kids growing up without a father in the home in the 50s, right? So then you had the civil rights movement come in, the feminism movement came in it, throughout the 60s and 70s. All of a sudden, those numbers spiked up. Women started, moms started to co-parent with the government. They started to co-parent with the taxpayer in a sense. So they took the father out of the home in that sense where they got more benefits for not right. having the no man at home, right? So that's really where we see it turn. So it went from 9% then 
to now we're at 26, 27%. It tripled. And what's, in what's interesting is that whenever we hear about the school shootings or we hear mass shooters and stuff, everyone right away jumps to the gun conversation. Home, home ownership in this country, the percentage of homeowners that have guns, hasn't changed since they started tracking it in 72. It's 44, 45%. That number still holds today. But the amount of fatherless homes has tripled in that time. That's where the issue is. So we saw the shift start to happen during that civil rights movement. The other big issue, Tommy, is the family court system is so corrupt in this country. I get that email. I get emails from single moms, yes. But the number one email I get is from a dad that's pouring his heart out, that's been humiliated, that's been financially strapped, trying to get a piece of custody time with their kid. And it's so unbalanced, it's so unfair. And yet it, it's interesting that we want the equality everywhere. The feminism movement mm -hmm. is against the patriarchy in every sense, but not in the family court system. In the family court system, oh, I can't survive without his money. I, I need to have his support. And so all of a sudden the man becomes, there's no toxic masculinity in the family court system. We need the guy. We depend on him now. So, so many guys are getting railroaded in the family court system. So that's another big part of this. You have the prison systems where men are sentenced to longer sentences than women. Judges will take into account that the, the woman has a child, that she's a mom. They don't really consider that when it's a guy. On average, it's like 50, 60% longer sentences for the same crime. Something about that needs to be done. And obviously, I'm not talking about violent offenders, these low-level offenses. And then you have your deadbeat dads, the guys that society has made it. I, I would think like back in the day, if you knocked up a girl or got a girl pregnant, it was like everyone kept it harsh. Everyone was trying to cover it up. It was like it's seen as a bad thing. Now it's being celebrated. Teen right. moms, all, all, the, all the fuss is about. And so... Guys don't care. They have kids and they leave. They don't feel that sense of shame or responsibility. So I would say those four things really is what led to the crisis that we got. It's really interesting how we did get here. And I think you're exactly right. When the government becomes dad, it, it almost becomes enticing for some people to want to be single mothers because they get more help financially if they are a single mother. And that's a whole other can of worms in and of itself. But I want to talk about some of the people that you've interviewed. And particularly, you interviewed the Kelsey's mom, right? No, dad. You interviewed the dad. Yeah. Because the mom was getting all of the attention, and nobody was really talking about the dad. Tell me about that. Yeah, it was interesting. They build it up as the Kelsey Bowl, right? It was the mm -hmm. first time they ever had two brothers playing against one another in the Super Bowl. So a big deal, right? If you go right now to Twitter, to the NFL's Twitter account, and search their tweets and put in their mom, Donna Kelsey... All the tweets you'll see. If you put in Ed Kelsey, it'll say search, no results. Not a mention. When I did the interview with their father, a great father, a first-class father, uh, had some great things to say, told some great Super Bowl, Super Bowl stories about his sons because uh, both of them had been there and won before. But all the comments I was getting is, wow, finally somebody talking about the dad, you know? And it was like, everyone was like, we didn't even know they had a dad. So it was, it's right. a shame that they focused so much on that. Even because I went to Super Bowl media day, had a chance to interview both uh, Travis and Jason, as well as Mahomes and all the other guys there. But they brought the mom out onto the stage and did a whole fun thing with her, like a whole segment with her where she answers questions about her kids and stuff. Would have been great to have the dad up there and do a segment with him too, but right. uh, they didn't go that route. Very interesting how that plays out. And it's not to say that mothers aren't important. I mean, my God, they are. Right. I mean, they keep the family together. But that's what another thing I want to talk about. Because I don't think that you can really talk about fatherlessness without talking about just the breakdown in values in this country and also marriage. We just had a poll come out saying that young people are not wanting to be in relationships. They're not wanting to get married like older generations have. I mean, there's a real aversion now to settling down and having a structure. 
What do you think is the cause of that? Yeah, there is an epidemic with that, too. Marriages are failing all over the place. I don't know. And that's why I focus more on the fatherhood part of this. I'm not a marriage counselor. I've been married for 18 years. Uh, I, I've been very blessed. I, I, I married the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. It has been, at times, a struggle. We've learned. We've grown. We've developed. We've changed. We're not the same people we were when we first met. And it's a journey, but it's been the best journey of my life. So that's all I could say about marriage. I know. I think that our society does a poor job of highlighting uh, the beauty of marriage and the beauty of family life in that aspect. But when you talk about faith being removed, see, I would say, number one, fatherlessness, but you can't really have that conversation without the Heavenly Father. And the Heavenly Father's been removed from our society. You take the man and the father out of the home, that combination has just destroyed our society. And the father is not only the leader in the family, but he's also the spiritual leader for his kids. So I know the studies have been done that when the father takes his kids to church, the likelihood of them going to church as adults is far higher than if just right. the mom goes with them. It's so important uh, that you do that and be there for your kids. But yet yeah, faith has been eradicated from our society, uh, marriage, the family. And, and it's really why we're seeing everything we're seeing. If, if you could get dads back in the home and God back in society, 99% of all this stuff we're trying to do would go mm -hmm. away quickly. No, you're absolutely right. And I think it's something that both political parties should focus on. But I think also on the Republican side of things, I'm speaking as a Republican, in 2024, I think these issues and bringing faith back in and bringing fatherhood and motherhood and a, a nuclear family back in, I think that that's a winning issue for a lot of communities. Sometimes they just don't know how important it is, but we, it's up to us to show it to them. The last thing I want to talk to you about, because there's been a lot of discussion about this, the uh, second dude, Kamala Harris's husband, Doug M. Hoff, we don't even really know his name, do we care? He did an interview last week talking about his crusade to end toxic masculinity, right? That's a term that you've already used. It's a term we hear over and over again. How big of a role does the feminization of men play in the fatherlessness conversation? Yeah, definitely. They're making, they're emasculating men. They're making you feel bad about being a man, a strong, healthy male figure. They're making that seem to be like the lowest thing you want to shoot for in life. When you have people like that, like the, the first man or whatever they call them, uh, out there saying things like that. It's ridiculous. You need to highlight the role of the father. Like we just seen the, the guy on that Delta flight stood up and was going to threaten to crash the plane and all of a sudden. The people that got up to up apprehend that guy were all the men on the plane. Nobody cried about toxic masculinity in that situation. Like, But that's it's just a push, like I said. And you're seeing that from the left side, from the Democratic side. That's the push, is, is to weaken men in our society. And I'll tell you what, if you really want to destroy a nation without firing a shot... Just take the father out of the home and God out of the society and mission will be accomplished very shortly. And we're seeing that in our country. But that's why, too, you talk about like 2024. Governor DeSantis came on the podcast right after he had that. I don't know if you could touch on that, but he he did the fatherhood initiative. Right. And that bill is so important because there's not much you can really do to legislate fatherhood uh, from politics. But to give people opportunities to tap into resources to help better the fatherhood and the family life in the community. That's what we need to see more of. He's one of the most pro fatherhood uh, people in politics. No, and that part of it too, the cultural aspect is going to have to be part of the play for whoever we run in 2024. It's going to be important. And I also go back to our conversation on masculinity and raising strong men. I think part of the problem as well is you can't be a strong father if you didn't weren't raised with those values. And for me, being a, like a young woman who is now married, but a lot of my friends are unmarried. I have this conversation all the time, and men just attack me for it. They hate it when I say it, but I'm like, listen, men these days are not men, and women are having to pick up the slack and be men 
when sometimes we don't want to be, and I don't mean working hard and all this, I mean sometimes women want a strong man, right? That's what most of us do want. We've been trained otherwise. But raising strong men to be strong fathers is a big part of the problem. Do you think part of the way our education system is, and maybe technology is contributing to this, what I call boyish men? Well, I think, too, you look at just the way that entertainment is, the way that they portray dads on TV. I mean, you went from having those stable dads in all these shows, even like the Brady Bunch back mm -hmm. in the day, or like Little House on the Prairie. Like, the father was a guy, there wasn't a dad joke about him. He was a serious guy. Then you started to turn into that, like, Al Bundy guy and that Homer Simpson character where the dad was, a you know, a load sitting on the couch. And so we started mm -hmm. to see a shift. You know, in that, but and even if you if you put in TikTok dad jokes hashtag, there's like 14 billion hits on it. You put in mom jokes, less than uh, a million, <laughs> less than 100,000. Like nobody's joking about the mom. The dad is the butt of the joke in all these entertainment things, and that's got to shift as well. I talk about what I call the nilfs, right? People know what a dilf is. A nilf is the men not in the labor force, and right now we've got about eight million men between 25 and 54 who are choosing not to work. That might not be a fatherhood conversation, but it certainly plays a role. We've got men that don't want to do dirty, dangerous, or any jobs at this point, and women are picking up the slack, but that's another part of the problem here. Yeah, well, that's because, you know, too, if you don't grow up with a father, that's that's the thing. Like, they're modeling after your behavior, so your young men are going to see you working hard, being responsible, and doing the right thing. They're going to follow suit. Same thing with, and, you're, and the best thing I could do for my daughter, who's the youngest, she's my only girl, is show her how she should be treated by a man the way I treat her mother. That's the only thing I can really contribute to them is to show them how I, I expect them to behave and how I would expect them to find that in a mate or a significant other. Because that's what I pray. I pray that my, my boys are responsible young men, hardworking men, and I pray that my, my daughter finds a man that's a hardworking man and a responsible man. I love it. I love having that conversation, and I'm so glad that you're having it. Where can everybody find your podcast? I'm sure everybody wants to listen to it. Your catalog is, is huge of the people you've interviewed. Yeah, no matter what you're interested in, I got a father that's in that category. So, yeah, just Google First Class Fatherhood, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, go to firstclassfatherhood.com. You'll find it. Just put it in there. I mean, you've got everybody. Ron DeSantis. You've got Tom Brady. I mean, your list is fantastic, and there's something for everybody. Thank you so much for being here, for having this conversation and making it so approachable and relatable to so many Americans because it's so needed right now. Honored to be on. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right, up next. We've been lied to about very key elements regarding January 6th, and as it turns out, it's not just Democrats and the liberal media carrying the water in the lies. You bet I got some final thoughts. Next. Well, folks, add January 6th to the list of things our government, Democrats, and Republicans have lied to us about. It's time for Final Thoughts. Trump-Russia collusion, Hunter Biden's laptop, COVID, social media bias, and censorship, all things they lied about. And now, thanks to Speaker McCarthy and Tucker Carlson, we can add another event to that list. January freaking 6th. Within hours of January 6th, literally hours, you began to hear that day described as a deadly insurrection, and not described by one news outlet or one politician, but in unison by all of them almost like it was coordinated, a deadly insurrection. 
That's how history may record January 6th. There was a deadly insurrection that the right wing is trying to cover up. He incited a deadly insurrection. Incited a deadly insurrection. The violent, deadly insurrection on the Capitol nine months ago it was about white supremacy in my view. To prove the insurrection was deadly, propagandists pointed to the death of an officer called Brian Sicknick. The mob killed Officer Brian Sicknick. That's what they said. It was their single most powerful indictment of the January 6th protesters and of Donald Trump and of Republican voters nationally. They repeated that claim for years. They are still repeating it. At first, they told the country that Officer Sicknick was murdered with a fire extinguisher. Officer Brian Sicknick died after being hit in the head with a fire extinguisher during the fight. That story came from the New York Times, which is effectively the assignment editor for most of the rest of American media. To this day, media accounts describe Sicknick as someone who was, quote, slain on January 6th. The video we reviewed proves that is a lie. Here is surveillance footage of Sicknick walking in the Capitol after he was supposedly murdered by the mob outside. By all appearances, Sicknick is healthy and vigorous. He's wearing a helmet, so it's hard to imagine he was killed by a head injury. Whatever happened to Brian Sicknick was very obviously not the result of violence he suffered at the entrance to the Capitol. This tape overturns the single most powerful and politically useful lie the Democrats have told us about January 6th. It wasn't a deadly insurrection, and we actually knew that well before Speaker McCarthy gave Tucker those tapes, and well before we saw some of that footage this week. Officer Brian Sicknick did die after January 6th, but it was from a stroke, from natural causes. Still, the left has been parading around that lie for two years in a sick and sorry attempt to trivialize that man's life as fodder for their Trump derangement. Let's also keep in mind, January 6th is the only day Democrats have given a hoot about law enforcement in the last 10 years plus, and only so they could weaponize it against Trump and Trump supporters. Now listen up. That's not to say what happened on January 6th wasn't atrocious and horrible, it was. Some of those people acted abhorrently and it made me sick and it still makes me sick thinking about it. That's not who we are as conservatives or Trump supporters. But the fact that we have been bald-faced lied to about at least some of the events of January 6th is also repulsive. Like the supposed QAnon shaman who violently busted into the Capitol? Weird because it sure looks like he was actually escorted through the Capitol to me. And the Democrats and mainstream media hacks don't want you to know the truth because it might change your politics or leave you a little more educated, and they don't want that. These lies continue tonight. Rupert Murdoch, who has admitted they were lies and said he regretted it, has a special obligation to stop Tucker Carlson from going on tonight now that he's seen how he has perverted and slimed the truth and from letting him go on again and again and again. Not because their views deserve such opprobrium, but because our democracy depends on it. What's done in the dark will always be brought to light, even if it's just Tucker Carlson who's brave enough to do it. And you know who is even more slimy and disgusting than all of them? These two snakes right here, Kinzinger and Cheney, who were more than thrilled to sit their happy rhino asses on that sham January 6th committee, all in the name of truth and transparency. Y'all are full of it, and you're worse than any Democrat out there. 
folks, January 6th was an awful day. It was an embarrassing day, but it was not a deadly insurrection. And the fact that the leftists, the rhinos, and their pals in the media wanted it to be so badly just to crap on Trump and Trump supporters is disgusting. The truth dies in darkness, and the truth is right now on its last friggin' leg. I'm pissed, and you should be too. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless, and take care.